it's our great privilege today to um, just introduce you to many of you. You already know him and their family to us here. Uh, but for those of you who don't, um, Pastor Scott and Rachel Phillips pastored in the valley here for a long time and have had such a great impact on so many people and upon our family too. They're very close friends of ours. And now they're pastoring in Illinois, so far away, but praise God they are here because their wonderful daughter got married. And um, why don't you just give him a warm welcome this morning? Amen. You guys may be seated. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here today. We love you guys too, Pastor Karen. And uh, Pastor Daniel, um, the way I got connected with this church was years ago, I worked on staff at what was known at the time as Wasilla Assembly of God. And uh, we had, uh, there's a community network of ministers that get together and pray on a weekly basis. And uh, one of those weekly meetings, Pastor Daniel was there and it happened to be hosted that week at Wasilla Assembly. And uh, we connected, met each other, and kind of formed a little bit of a bond uh, during that time. And then over the years, as I transitioned uh, out of ministry for a season of time, he really reached out to me and uh, just showed a lot of love and encouragement to me. I was kind of in a, I was in a difficult spot and season of my life, and he just loved me and cared for me and, and uh, invited me to come. And for however, however long it was that the Lord had us to join him at the church here, and we we're so glad that we came and we're a part of you guys for the last three years or so. And this last January, um, we ended up relocating to the Midwest. And so we are family pastors at a church in rural Illinois. And, uh, man, it is flat in rural Illinois. There are no mountains. You see, you go, if your dog runs away, you can go inside and look out three days later, and you can still see him running. It's so flat. And, uh, and so we, we are adjusting to life in the Midwest. There's corn and soybeans and a lot of agricultural development, things like that. But it's a lot of fun. We're enjoying it. We're in a great little community of about 2,700 people in a, a little Assemblies of God church and uh, are loving it. We have a wonderful leadership team. We have a great pastor who really has a heart to reach his community, serves his community tirelessly, uh, has built some real bridges with the local school, and uh, the Lord has used that relationship uh, to kind of help foster people entering into the kingdom of God. And so that's been really, really exciting that we get to be a part of that. And we're so thankful. Um, Today, we, I have, this is an honor for me to get to be here and uh, to preach on a Sunday morning. I appreciate all that God's doing in this church. Uh, I walked in the church at 8 o'clock, and uh, they had a prayer meeting going on upstairs. And so I walked into that prayer meeting just encouraged by the faithfulness of this congregation to keep the main thing the main thing. And to continue to, pr to, play, to pray, and play a little bit, but to continue to pray and uh, have such a high value on prayer impacted my life. The short time I was a part of this congregation, not in leadership, but just was sitting in the, in the seats like you guys, I, I saw consistently the value and the importance as one of our great responsibilities as believers is to petition the Lord and to set our hearts before him. And I watched, there's a lot of times people talk about praying. I have an ideal prayer life that I would like to have one day, but there's a big difference of wanting to do it and actually doing it. How many of you guys know there's a big difference there? And this church is doing that well, and I, I encourage you to continue on and be faithful in that place. And so uh, when I was preparing and getting ready, uh, what happened was um, when we went down, when we moved to Illinois, um, shortly thereafter, Pastor Daniel and I had, had a conversation on the phone, 
and it said to me, he said, hey, man, would you come preach for me in September? And I said, well, let me check with my pastor. I, I didn't know how he'd feel about me leaving the church so early uh, after just getting down there. And I asked him, I said, hey, I've got this opportunity to go preach at my old church in Alaska. How do you feel about it? He says, go for it, man. It'll be fun. It'll be a good opportunity for you. And, uh, and then shortly thereafter, um, my daughter's uh, fiance, you know, called me up and asked me if he could have my daughter's hand in marriage. And, uh, and I said, absolutely. Shane Reese, uh, who's a wonderful young man, just married my daughter this week, as Pastor Karen said. And it, hap- it just so happened that the week that they were doing the wedding was the same time that Pastor Daniel had asked me to come up and preach. So it all worked out good. Isn't God faithful? And, uh, and so I was really appreciative of that. So this morning, we're going to talk about God's plan for Israel and the Jews. And we had a good time in the early morning service talking about that. And, uh, but before we do that, I want to let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going to talk a little bit about the book of Romans before we get in specifically to God's plan for Israel. The Apostle Paul was a church father. And um, how many of you guys are familiar with a guy named the Apostle Paul, right? Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was a Jewish man who was a religious leader who actually persecuted the church until one day he had a dramatic encounter with the Lord on the road to persecute other Christians. The Lord spoke to him from heaven, knocked him off of the horse he was riding on. He falls to the ground, and he's blinded by a bright light. Then a voice speaks from heaven, calls him by name, Asked him why he is persecuting the Lord himself. Jesus says this to him in the encounter. And he has this revelation that Jesus is actually who he says he is. He's actually the Messiah. He is actually the Jewish Messiah who the Jewish people of the day believed was coming one day. They just didn't believe Jesus was the, the real Messiah because they didn't have any room in their theology that the Messiah would actually come as a suffering servant. And so this was huge for them, and this was the big offense of what kept many of Jews out of receiving the gospel message was the fact that Jesus actually had to come and suffer and die on the cross for our sins. And so Paul has this dramatic encounter. The lights come on for him, and over the course of many years, he becomes a leader in the movement of the gospel around the world. And he saw many, many people come into the kingdom, and he was a church father. He saw churches planted in different regions of the earth. He was one of the first, he was a part of the very first missionary journey. He was there when Christians were first called Christians. And so these, he was a very significant Bible character that we read about. And uh, he cared for the church. He understood the gravity, the importance of what this was all about. This wasn't just something that people did that was a nice part of their life that helped them to cope with life, that relationship with the Lord was what it was all about, that the first commandment to love God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength really mattered because God is real and he really loves people and he really wants to work in people's lives. Amen? So he carries this burden for people, a care, like a pastoral care, like he really was concerned about their well-doing and their well-being in their lives. And in Romans 1, he, he opens his letter to the Christians in Rome. And he talks about, you know, he, he wants to visit them one day. And he doesn't know that the day he actually is going to go visit him is when he's a prisoner on his way to eventually be executed for the gospel. He was the martyr. And, uh, and so it's just kind of a fascinating story. But in Romans 1, 11, while I turn there, Let's pray. 
before we go any further. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we need your help today. God, like we always need your help. Lord, I pray that you would minister to us today, that you would uh, speak to our hearts the things that you want to speak to our hearts, that we would learn, that we would know you better, that we would know your heart better, Lord, even today, that our lives would be impacted, and that, Lord, when we leave the service, that, Lord, you would give us something that we can take with us, Lord, and apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 1, 11, Paul says, For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. That word established means to be made stable. So the Apostle Paul, his whole desire for Christians is that they would be stable in their faith and growing and maturing in their walk with the Lord. So he writes this letter to the church in Rome, the Christians in Rome, and he, he, he paints out and clearly explains the gospel message, how this works in our lives, how to apply our faith and what that means in our relationship with God and how it all works. And the book of Romans is a great book for the defense of the gospel, but it's also very practical in teaching us what the gospel is all about and how to live a life of faith. How many of you guys want to live a life of faith? Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Have you ever been in a season or a time in your life where your faith has been shaken or you've given up your faith? You know, I've been close to that at different seasons of crisis in my life. And uh, it's like, at the end of the day, I want to hold on to my faith. It's really important. Um, and so our faith in the Lord Jesus is what justifies us before God. And we are righteous because of that faith, because we've, we've believed and we've received the gospel message. So Paul says, I want you to be stable. So he writes these 16 chapters. They didn't actually have chapters at the time, but he wrote this letter to the to the church in Rome, and in the middle of the letter, we have Romans 9, 10, and 11, where Paul actually talks about Israel and the Jews and God's plan for Israel. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning, and I, I, this message is important to me for different reasons. I, this summer, our church in Illinois, um, we, uh, we had been doing a series all summer long on the book of Romans, and so my pastor was gone for part of that time, and he gave me some preaching assignments, and uh, he said, hey man, I want you to preach Romans 8 one week, and then the next week, I want you to preach Romans 9, 10, and 11, like there's so much material in Romans 9, 10, and 11, you could take a whole summer to talk about what's there, and so I'm going to try to take the next 30 minutes, and this is going to be like a fire hydrant, you know, I'm going to open up the fire hydrant, let's just take a drink and see what we get. Okay, and uh, I believe the Lord's going to give us some practical tools to help us in understanding his plan for Israel. There's a lot of different ideas about Israel and the church and who the Jews are and how they're related to the Christians today and all that. And we're just going to look at what the scripture says. And, uh, and we're going to talk about some interesting things this morning. Uh, so if you would, go over to Romans chapter 9, verse 1. It's so good to have my son and daughter-in-law with us today. We surprised Kennedy and they flew in from the Middle East uh, and got to be here for uh, Kennedy's wedding. And so, Ray and Kendra, would you guys put up your hand real quick? I'm going to put you on the spot there. I love these guys. And uh, they are missionaries inside the 1040 window and uh, really trying to reach people that don't want Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and the, the context of their ministry and what they do is very challenging, but they know 
because they have the Bible, the same Bible that you and I have, that God loves those people, and he has a plan for them, and they're spending their lives trying to reach these people. And uh, pray for them, pray for the 1040 window, and pray for uh, Muslim people in the world that they would encounter the Lord. And if God did it for the Apostle Paul and encountered him, he was opposed to the gospel, he could certainly do it for the Muslim world. Amen? As a matter of fact, let's pray for the Muslim world right now. Lord, we lift up the Muslim world before your throne. God, so many people, hundreds of millions of people that are in darkness, that do not know you, who have been taught, Lord, about you that's in, in ways that is not correct. And Lord, we pray that you would encounter them in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, you would send people to preach the gospel that are anointed with power and signs and wonders and miracles would follow that many Muslim people would put their faith in the Lord Jesus. Lord, you care about them deeply. You died on the cross for them, just like you died for us on the cross, Lord. We pray that you would reach them in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 9, 1. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and an unceasing grief in my heart. Verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were accursed separated from Christ for the sake of my brother and my kinsmen according to the flesh. The Apostle Paul makes this incredible statement that I don't think I would make. He says, if it is possible for me to give up my eternal salvation so that my Jewish brothers would get saved, I would do it. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? He's like, this is so important. Heaven and hell is so real to me. The Apostle Paul is saying, this is the, 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 the fact that you have rejected the gospel breaks my heart. And if it is possible that I could just take my belief in the Lord Jesus and somehow credit it to your account, that you would somehow believe the Lord Jesus and you'd be saved, I would do it. I would be willing to give up my salvation for that. I don't know about you, but eternity is a long time. And the, that, the fact that he had that heart, he knew what he was saying when he wrote this letter. He says, if it was possible, it doesn't work that way. Each man... Each human being is responsible for what they do with the gospel. We all have to make that choice. You can be raised in the church. You can be born on the pew, so to speak. That does not make you a Christian. You can serve in the church. And, and, and part of the problem for the Jewish people, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, is, is that they believe that because of their lineage, their heritage, that they were Jews, that that was the sure thing for them. And so faith in Christ, they didn't have room for that, that they had to believe, you know, in the Lord Jesus, and so it caused conflict for them. There is no other name given among men by which we would be saved. It's the name Jesus Christ. He is the Lord, and uh, there's salvation, no other name. And so Paul understood this. If you drop down to verse 6, the apostle Paul, and what I'm going to do this morning, you guys, just for the sake of time, I'm going to ramble through a lot of verses. We're going to hit on a few of them here and there. And uh, this, like I said earlier, there's a lot of material here. I encourage you, go study this. Read this over and over and over again. Study on it. It's fascinating. It actually applies to our lives. And, uh, and so just keep that in mind. This is not, I'm not an expert on this subject, okay? Verse 6 says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be, will be named. And the apostle Paul is making, uh, he, he's, he's talking about in this passage of scriptures that not all Jews 
will be saved. But, but he goes on, and if you'll read on in Romans chapter 9, he's talking about those that actually have faith in Christ. And he also makes the point that the word of God hasn't failed. And so for the Jewish people, even in the day of Jesus, when Jesus was walking the earth and he went to the cross and was crucified for the sins of the world, the Jewish people were hoping for a Messiah. And many did believe in the Lord Jesus. But when he was crucified and he was laid in a tomb for three days, some of those people that believed in Jesus were tempted, at the least they were tempted, some of them actually had given up hope altogether that Jesus was who he said he was. And you can read about this. Jesus has an encounter on the road to Emmaus, and you can read that in Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Just write that down for your notes. But he's walking with a couple of Jewish believers, and they say in their conversation, when Jesus, before, he was, uh, before they had understood that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, they, were, they said, we were hoping that he was actually the Messiah. And, uh, and they were discouraged, and they had given up hope. And many Jewish people believe that God's word has failed, that God has, he hasn't actually delivered on what he said he was going to do. And because of that, they've turned away from their faith altogether. Some have rejected even their Jewish faith because they believe that God isn't true, that he isn't real, that he hasn't actually fulfilled his word. And the Apostle Paul says, God's word hasn't failed. And uh, he's working even now, and we're in the middle of God unfolding his plan. And so the timing of these things is a big struggle for people. Because when things don't happen right now the way that we think they should happen, they can become an offense to us. And, and this is offensive, that why isn't God delivering on, why isn't he answering my prayer right now? The Jewish people have been praying for thousands of years for a Messiah to come and to rescue them from persecution and suffering and all the hardships that they even face today as a nation. And so, but the Paul says, listen, God is working. His word hasn't failed where he's actually unfolding his plan. Philippians 1, 6, that we can be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. We're just in the middle of the storyline of what God's doing. Amen? In Romans 9, 7 through 17, he points out, and I just make this point again, that not all Jewish people will be saved, but only those that believe, that have faith, and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. He goes through some key points related to some Old Testament figures and points out that they were part of God's plan. He shows that the ones who said yes to God by displaying faith, um, they received mercy. But those that rejected the gospel or those that rejected the Lord, they didn't receive mercy. The same is true for us today. Um, there is a point in time, and we'll talk about this in Romans eleven twenty six, that in future, in the future, that Israel will be saved in a day. But right now, Jewish people that die without Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they are going to the same eternal separation that any other unbeliever would go to. Okay? And so there's a theology that's, and, it's a, and, and I believe, as I read my Bible, there's a misunderstanding about the Jewish people when that, in that verse in Romans eleven twenty six that says all of Israel will be saved in a day that, that's a, that people make that a blanket statement that all Jews that have all, ever lived will be saved. And Paul makes it clear in Romans 9, the verse verses, that that's not the, the case, that these guys really aren't saved, and they need to. But there will be a day that Jesus will save Jews in Jerusalem, and the nation of Israel will be saved. But that's for those that are alive at that time 
when he comes back at the second coming. This is the blessed hope that we have as believers. How many of you know that the Lord Jesus is coming again? Okay, and so he's going to come again. The Bible says that we will be with him forever. For those that have lived with a sincere heart before God, have uh, and, and received the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior, have believed and repented of their sins, they will be with the Lord forever. In a billion years, we will be alive. It's kind of scary to think about. In a billion years, our body won't be as it is now. We'll have a glorified body one day, but we will be alive. Now, for those that don't know the Lord, that have rejected the gospel, haven't had an opportunity to hear the gospel or receive the Lord, they will, be, they will be separated eternally from the Lord. So in a billion years, they too will be alive. But they will be in a Christless eternity, which will be a crisis for them, in a place of suffering. And Paul felt the weight of that. He's like, this is so important. I want to see the Jewish people saved. And so this is where he goes with that. Continuing on, let's, uh, let's go to Romans chapter 10. I'm just hitting on some highlights on this. This is not an all-inclusive discourse on Romans 9, 10, and 11, which is hard not to do because there's so many points to make when we do this. So in Romans 10, I've got my notes mixed up here. So in Romans 10, 1, the Apostle Paul, again, you see his heart for the nation of Israel, his Jewish uh, brethren. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. So this is one of the only accounts you'll actually read in Scripture where the Apostle Paul prays directly for someone's salvation. He prays that God would save the Jewish people. And so this too, one of the takeaways, and we're gonna, we'll have an opportunity to respond at the end of the service today, is that this too is how we should pray for Israel. How many of you pray, we're, we're praying, we got a list of seven names of friends and family, people that we love, that we care about, that we're praying for their salvation. God wants us to pray for the Jewish people to be saved. It's scriptural, it's biblical to pray. And so the Apostle Paul, so our takeaway is, as we think about it, what do I do with Israel as a Christian? You pray for their salvation. That's what you do. And bless them. Okay? And so that's, that's really, really important. And then uh, in verses 9 through 11, I'm going to read that real quick. Or excuse me, verses, yeah, chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. He makes this point, and I'll just say it because I, it's just the word. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, in the, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then I want us to pay attention to these next few verses. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. The Apostle Paul says, listen. The Jewish people need to hear the preaching of the gospel. And this is, this is, you know, 
for someone to go into Israel today and to preach to Jewish people salvation in the name of Jesus is very challenging. Jewish people are getting saved. The Lord's doing, there's some miracles that are happening in the Jewish world right now. But, but it's very small. It's a very small percentage. And it's a very challenging culture to break into, to be able to break into with the gospel. And Paul says at the, our responsibility in this is to fulfill the Great Commission. We need to go and we need to bring Jesus and we need to try to make disciples in these nations and in in this people group, the Jewish people group, but it's hard but they need to have preachers. And this is where missionaries get sent out from. These verses like this is people need to hear the gospel. I didn't get saved by osmosis. I didn't come into the kingdom of God um, because I sat next to you know, a tree and had a spiritual experience. I actually heard someone talk to me, challenge me about the way I was living my life and my sinfulness, called me to repentance and sowed seeds into my life. I didn't respond at the time, but they sowed seeds into my life that, Scott, you will die one day. And if you die without receiving forgiveness of your sins, you are in big trouble. This is a reality. We need to feel this. We need to carry this as believers. This is fundamental to the gospel, is eternity and, and with or without God, depending on what you do with Jesus. And so it took the preaching of the gospel for me to get saved, and as it did for you, you heard the gospel. Somehow, some way, you heard the gospel presented to you. For those of you that are in relationship with the Lord through faith in Christ, those that are in the sound of my voice this morning. Very, very important. So moving along, I know I'm covering a lot of ground here. Okay. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. We've got time to do this. It says, However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. And then he continues, and he quotes Old Testament uh, prophecy about the Lord Jesus and the message of the gospel going forth at that time. But people hear the gospel, and they reject it. Have you ever ministered to anybody? Have you ever seen people reject the gospel? I've seen it. I've had, I've, I've, I haven't been the bold witness for the Lord that I believe I'm supposed to be as a Christian. But in those handful of experiences that I've had as a Christian, when I've stepped out in faith and have shared my faith with people, many times people have rejected that. And uh, they don't want something to do, they don't want, you know, I've had people mock me at the sharing of the gospel. I've had some people uh, not mock me. They appreciated my good gesture towards them, but they didn't want to alter their lifestyle. So they rejected the gospel, afraid of what would happen to them. What do I have to do with my lifestyle if I believe in the Lord Jesus? Well, we change when we come to the Lord Jesus, right? I knew there was things in my life that needed to change, and that, that was part of my own personal resistance to becoming a Christian, there was things I couldn't continue to live in my sinful lifestyle. I was going to have to give that out. I got that much of it. You know, but the, ultimately at the end of the day, the fear, and some of you guys may have a problem with this statement, but we could talk about it later. But the fear of hell scared me into getting saved. I didn't want to go to hell. And that was my choice, not God's. I... God, you know, we, we have a struggle in our, our picture of who God is and his character, and the question comes up, 
whenever you're ministering to people and trying to, you know, share Jesus with people is that, you know, would, would a loving God send someone to hell? Have you ever had those questions? I mean, these are good questions, right? It's not a bad question. So, well, the question, the, the, the answer to that is, is the justice of God was satisfied on the cross. Jesus, the punishment for our peace was, with God was Jesus took that for us, right? But if we don't receive Jesus' atoning sacrifice on our behalf, we remain under the wrath of God. He is a holy God. He is pure. He is spotless. He is, he is not an unjust God. And so for people to spend eternity separated from God isn't because God is evil. It's just he's a just God. Okay, and this is hard. This is even offensive for some Christians. And we alter the gospel message when we do this, when we talk about this stuff, we alter it because we don't, want make, we don't want to make God sound out to be an unfair and unjust God. And so we water down the gospel, and we, we present a half-truth many times in the way that we present the gospel. We are doing people a disservice when we do that. And this is important. We have to wrestle with this stuff. How many of you guys are, I'm challenged when I even say this. This is challenging to me. And so this is really, really important. And so, so uh, where was I at? <laughs> Where was I at? Romans 16 to 18. Let's continue on. Let's look at Romans uh, 10, 19 through 21. And uh, he says, But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding Will I anger you? And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And what is happening, what, what the Apostle Paul is talking about there in that passage, he's saying, listen, God's going to take non-Jewish people, give them a relationship with the God of the Hebrews, the Jewish God, Jehovah, he's going to give them a relationship with them, and that's going to make the Jewish people mad. It's going to provoke them. Have you ever seen someone that, had, like, that was a sincere believer, they really loved the Lord, and you saw the blessing of God on their life? Have you ever seen that? What does that do to you? I mean, some of you are jealous. Some of you are like, I want some of that. I want God's favor and blessing on my life, and, and I want that too, but but you got to ask yourself, well, where did that come from? Well, these are people that are walking in right relationship with the Lord. They said yes to Jesus, and so they, they, God's blessing is on their life, you know. And so for, for the Jewish people, they see that, and that has the potential to provoke them into faith in Christ, that they would see the God of Israel is actually blessing a non-Jew, and that would provoke them. And so that's what this passage of Scripture is about. At the same time, in this passage of Scripture, it reveals the heart of God for Israel. God is not done with the Jewish people. He doesn't hate Jews. He doesn't hate people that have rejected him. And so many times we think about people, I have been offended by people that have rejected the gospel. I'm like, I am done with them. I worked really hard to try to share my faith with you. I mustered up enough courage. I prayed. I fed, Whatever it was I did, and you just throw it back in my face. I'm done with you. I don't care. That is not God's heart. God loves you as long as they're still alive. There's a, an opportity, a chance that they could become born again. They, they could be saved. And so 
So it doesn't matter. We just read there's no distinction between Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile. God loves these people the same. And so in Romans chapter 11, verse 1, it says, I say then God has not rejected his people. Has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. This is quoting an Old Testament story that happened with the prophet Elijah. Verse 4, but the divine response to him, I have kept him for myself. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, they, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So the Apostle Paul is doing a couple of things in those six verses. One of the things that he's teaching us, he's saying, look, even though the Jewish people are not saved right now, he has not rejected them. He still loves them, but they have to get saved through faith, which is a work of grace on the human heart. This is what he's saying right there. And so he's talking about it, and, and this is where it's really important that we understand God's heart for the Jewish people. Because in, 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 even in the modern world that we live in, in Christianity, there's theology that says, it's being taught, it's, in, it's an error, it's a biblical error, it's a, it's, a, it's a bad doctrine that says that for Christians, I didn't understand, I'm, I have Jewish history, and I'm going to share that with you in a minute, in my own personal life, but as a Christian, we know that was Israel was there in the Old Testament, and they were God's people, and we recognize the Star of David and all that stuff, but we don't know how this all fits into our lives as believers, and so I didn't know, and so so a lot of people are ignorant of the Word of God. We would do well to read our Bibles, okay? And, and so, so people are ignorant. And so in, in uh, the, the enemy, which is a work of Satan, in the church, you know, hundreds of years ago when the Bible was, was put into the common language of the everyday person so that they would have direct access to the Word of God, some of those same people that made sure that people had access to the Word of God had believed a great error concerning God and the Jews. And they didn't read Romans 9, 10, and 11. Or they didn't, they didn't read it correctly. And they taught, they taught that God was done with the Jews and that Christians now replace the Jews. And that's where you get replacement theology from. And it's created a lot of anti-Semitism. As a matter of fact, much of what took place in World War II with the Jews being sent off to concentration camps and burned in ovens, was rooted in that teaching that the Jews were the scum of the earth because they were, after all, the ones that crucified Christ, and let's be done with them. But the Apostle Paul makes it very clear in Romans 11 that God's not done with the Jews and has actually preserved a remnant. It's the miracle of God today that we even still have, that we have Israel as a nation. It's fascinating. You think about it. There's hundreds of millions of Muslims around the world. There's a, there's a portion of that Muslim, Muslim population that hates Israel, has been taught to hate Israel, and would like to see Israel annihilated and wiped off the map. Around the world right now, there's about 13, maybe 14 million Jews, a very small percentage of the overall population of the year, very small. And of those Jews, about half of them, or about 40% of them, actually live in Israel today. 
And, uh, and, and so it's, it's really interesting. There's all this anti-Semitism in the world. And the reason for anti-Semitism, the root of it, spiritually, it's not, it was, it's not just bad theology. It's actually a lie from the devil that is convincing people, some Christians and many other non-Christians and other faiths and governments around the world, that the Jewish people are evil and that they should be annihilated because Satan knows that one day, the eastern sky is going to split. Our Savior is going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives. He's going to walk into Jerusalem wielding a sword and establish his kingdom and set up a throne for a thousand years. This is incredible. And this is the millennial reign of Christ. And this is part of our hope. And, and so, so the enemy is fighting against that. He knows what's coming. And so he's trying very hard to get the world to turn against Israel. And he's going to do a very good job of it. In Zechariah, we can read, and I would encourage you, read the book of Zechariah. It has a lot to say about end times events concerning Israel. But it says that there's a day coming when all of the nations of the earth are going to align themselves against Israel. I want you to think about that right now as an American, what that means for you and I. You do not want to be on the wrong side of the Israel issue with the Lord. Because even to this day, Israel is the apple of God's eye. He loves those people. And he has a great plan for their life, and he doesn't want us to turn on them. And we need to pray for our nation right now. We drank the Kool-Aid when it came to this nuclear deal with Iran. And uh, we need to pray that God would have mercy on our nation and that we would ally ourselves. All what's happening as a nation, as we ally ourselves with Israel, is we are buying time for people to come into the kingdom of God. That's what's happening. And so... I would encourage you to study on this and research it. It's really, really important. So um, I want us to look at, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to share a story. Uh, how are we doing, Pastor Karen, on time? Doing good? Okay. So let's look at Romans 11, 28 and 29. And then we'll have a response. You guys doing okay? Okay. So Romans 11, 28 and 29, the Apostle Paul continues. He says, from the standpoint of the gospel, they, speaking of Israel and the Jews, are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And so the Apostle Paul talks about in the, the verses that precede that, he deals with an attitude that was creeping up or that existed that somehow Christians replaced the Jews and that we're better than the Jews and that type of thinking. But then he says, look, yes, they're enemies. They're resisting the gospel right now. But God's plan and his call for them as a nation has not changed. The giftings and callings of God are irrevocable. And so that's what he's talking about right there. And so he says that. So this whole story and this, this whole, not story, but the whole, the whole history about Israel and the Jews and Christianity is very important to me. And in the early 1900s, there was a family that immigrated from Austria to New York City. And uh, they started a family. And uh, in 1930, on February 23rd, there was a little Jewish baby born in Brooklyn or in the Bronx, New York, named Alan Finkelstein. And uh, 
that guy was my dad. And my dad was raised as a Jew in New York City. I have here today in my hand, I have a copy of the scriptures that were given to him when he was bar mitzvahed, which is a rite of passage as a Jewish boy, and on May 8th, 1943. It's kind of a cool family heirloom that I have. On the cover, it says Alan R. Finkelstein. That's my dad, actually, my biological dad. And so he grew up as a Jew in New York City. There's a lot of, you know, there's a Jewish population in New York City. Um, but there was a lot of discrimination against Jews, a lot of anti-Semitism. They were called names. They were called scum and dirtbags. And Jewish people have been accused for hundreds of years of being thieves and stealing things and stuff like that. And this is all rooted in bad theology. And so my dad grew up in a culture where there was a lot of anti-Semitism. So by the time he was 17 years old, uh, he, had not, he didn't have a real affinity for the Jewish faith. He, didn't, he saw some hypocrisy in his own family relationships and his relationship with his dad who I never met. I never met my dad's dad. But it was brokenness, all this stuff. So his parents are dead by the time he's 17 years old. He's getting ready to go off to college. And he, he decides, he says, it's going to be really hard for me to get ahead as a Jew in this culture, which is really hard for many Jews to get ahead in this culture. You know, even today, there's a resistance to the Jews. And I'm not trying to get, I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to be, I'm not asking for pity. I'm just trying to paint a picture of reality, okay? And so, so my dad, 17 years old, getting ready to go to college, he goes down, he gets his name changed. He changes his name from Finkelstein to Phillips because of the stigma of having a Jewish name. And so I'm kind of a living example of how far reaching the hatred of the Jews has actually gone, which is the rage of Satan ultimately against God's plan. We know in the end that God's plan will succeed, and he will in a day, as it says, I didn't read it this morning, but in Romans eleven twenty six, 26, that all Israel will be saved in a day. He, and it's going to be a glorious day. Can you imagine that day for the nation that they actually say, Jesus is Lord? It's going to be glorious. Would you guys stand to your feet with me? And uh, actually, Pastor Karen, yeah, go ahead. Go, you want him to sit down? I'm sorry. Go ahead and sit down. That was just a little stretch. I forgot. Okay, okay, thanks. We want to actually take a moment to take a love offering. We uh, want, uh, we are in the habit of blessing our, our guests, our family. And so, uh, ushers, would you come? And if you just want to sow seed uh, into this ministry this morning, to the ministry of the Phillips family, just raise your hand. You can also, also do push pay, uh, the texting thing. One day I'll get it. I'm kind of, uh, I like paper. I don't know if I'll ever do the digital thing much. <laughs> but anyway, that's probably because I'm getting older. <laughs> Amen. That was a powerful word. I, uh, there is, really is a lot of ignorance in regards to Israel and their place and the heart of God. And so I just encourage you to read your Bible, like Pastor Scott said. Amen. Read your Bible. And if you need to know more about how to find out about that stuff, you can actually talk to him. He can lead you to some books and stuff like that. So, Well, let's pray. Lord, just stretch your hands out towards the Phillips families. Lord, 
I thank you so much for the Phillips, God, for their ministry and for all the seeds, God, and for their service that they've done even here in Alaska, impacting the lives of so many different people. Thank you for all their children, for the grandchildren that will come. Lord, we thank, just thank you for them and we bless them today. And Lord, we ask, God, that you would continue to use them powerfully, God, in Illinois. Use them powerfully, God. Bless the works of their hands, all that they touch, all the people they come into contact with. I thank you for the gift of this family, our dear friends. Meet every need that they have according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Amen. And so I'm going to have him uh, lead us in a time of prayer. Thank you. You can stand up now if you'd like. That means we're getting close to the end. Thank you so much. Pastor Karen, good to be here. One of the things I just feel impressed with, I talked, I said this in the earlier service, I just think it's, it's worth repeating. Um, when I was a new Christian, um, I got saved in Wasilla Assembly of God Church, October 1993, I committed my life to the Lord. I am so thankful, I'm so thankful that God helped me and he's brought, he saved me, he's forgiven me my sins and uh, it was a great season of my life and yet I went to the altar, committed my life to Christ and I left the altar and I failed, I stumbled, I sinned, I swore. Um, I, was a, I wasn't a sailor, but I was a soldier, you know what I mean? And so there was things that I struggled with and things from my past and sin patterns and stuff like that. And, and I thought that every time I sinned, I needed to get saved again. And, uh, and I, so I would go to the altar and get saved again. And after, you know, doing this five or six times, my pastor, Tim McGraw, God bless him, he said, Scott, something's not connecting for you. And he basically helped me to understand, I don't need to get saved every time I sin. But what I do need to do is I need to repent, ask the Lord's forgiveness, forget about my sin, and keep marching with Jesus. And so my point in saying all that is God's heart for us is to be sincere. Live sincerely before God. Don't, obviously don't do the lip service thing, but live with a sincere heart before God. And uh, God honors the sincerity of our hearts. He knows the battles that we face. He sees our weakness. You don't live under condemnation. Even when you fail, just be quick to repent. Get back up and keep on going with Jesus. Find some accountability in your life. Get somebody that you can talk to. The Bible says to confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you'd be healed. These are very important, practical things that you and I can do as Christians. God wants us to uh, thrive with a vibrant faith and a dynamic relationship with him that we would experience all that he has for us as his children. And so I just wanted to share that. I'm, I'm going to invite you this morning to the altar. If you want to, just sign up to say, God, I'm going to pray for the nation of Israel. I'm not asking you to pray even every day, but that you would just make this a part of your prayer life, that you would partner with God's heart for the salvation of the Jewish people. If that's you, I would like to invite you forward right now.
This is really important. The Apostle Paul put this in the letter of Romans because it's actually a really important theme in Christianity, and God wants us to understand his heart for it. There's two passages of Scripture that you and I can pray uh, when it comes to Israel. There's actually many passages of Scripture, but what we're saying is we want to partner with God's heart. In uh, Psalms 122, verse 6, I believe it is, it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, we know that ultimately there won't be real peace in Jerusalem until Jesus comes back again, right? But in the meantime, we want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem that all those people that want to wipe them off the face of the earth, that they would be restrained. Okay? God loves the Jewish people. And so we want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Secondly, we want to pray what Paul prayed in Romans 10.1 for the salvation of the Jews. And so by coming forward, you're just saying, you're, I, want you to, I want to encourage you, your voice matters to God. Your prayer for Israel matters to God. And God's raising up people to stand in the gap for the nation of Israel, and it makes a difference. This really matters. And so I want to encourage you for that. I'm just going to lead us. I'm going to pray. Just agree with me. And then we're going to take one more part of business, and I'm going to give it back to Pastor Karen. So, Father, we lift up the nation of Israel to you. And, Lord, we remember your people this morning, God. We lift up the people of Jerusalem, and we pray for peace, Lord, that you would protect them, that you would be a shield around and about them, Lord. We speak Psalms 91 over them. Lord, that no weapon formed against them would prosper. That no, every tongue that rises up against them shall be condemned. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Lord, we pray that they would abide in the shelter of the Almighty, that though a thousand would fall at one side and 10,000 on the other side, that nothing would harm them. And Lord, we lift them up before you. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would save the Jewish people. You love them. Lord, save them. Bring them into an encounter with the living God, the living Christ. In the name of Jesus, save them, Lord, we pray. Save the Jewish people. Lord, we desire, God, to partner with your heart for the nation of Israel. Help us, remind us of when to pray. Show us how to pray for them, Lord. And Lord, we know that you'll honor it, God, because you love them. And you always honor your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. And finally, last point of business. If you're here today and you've heard me talk about heaven or hell, heaven and hell, you've heard me talk about all these things, you've heard me talk about the, the message of salvation, you want to make a decision for Christ today to receive him as your Lord and Savior, to have your sins forgiven, to be restored to relationship with God. I want to encourage you to make that decision. It is the most important decision you will ever make. In a billion years, that will prove to be the most important decision you've ever made. And so if you're here, and that's you, I want to I just encourage you, just make that decision. You can put up your hands, or you can make eye contact with me, and I'll just agree with you. Is anybody here? I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Ma'am, I just want to speak a word of encouragement over you. I, I believe the Lord sees the struggle that you're in. I know he does, but he sees the sincerity of your heart. And I believe the Lord's going to help you and minister to you. God's got great things planned for your life. Just hold on to him. Get to know him. He's going to meet you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
And so even now, we're just going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer of commitment to the Lord and give it over to Pastor Karen. Father, uh, Lord, why don't you just repeat after me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Come wash me and make me new. Forgive me of my sins. I repent and I believe. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Pastor Karen. Good job, Pastor Scott. Great word. Let's just give him a clap. Good job. Why don't you join hands with somebody as we close in a word of prayer today? Thank you so much for coming. Got a lot of great stuff happening the rest of the week and tonight. Um, David Duncan, Pastor David Duncan. And don't forget to take one of these forms if you didn't get one so you can pray and believe people for your friends and family to be saved. All right, let's just close in prayer. Lord, we're so thankful for all that you've done today. Lord, for your word going forth, Lord, for bringing uh, just a, a, an eye-opening message about your heart for Israel. And Lord, we do. We bless Israel today and your people. And Father, we just pray that you would bless your people as they go today. Bless your people. I pray that you lift up your countenance upon them. Keep them, keep them safe. In Jesus' name, bless them as they go. Bless them as they come. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Hallelujah.